On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, that work of ignoring what other people wanted from me and really knowing like, no, nah, I don't feel good when I do X, Y, Z. I feel good when I'm here or when I'm doing that, but now nah, I don't like that over there. And so that checking with myself, I think has been the greatest gift of love I could give myself, acknowledging I can't be everything for everybody and that is perfectly okay, but I got to be as much as I can for myself. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, lady, today we have a very special guest in Cultivating Her Space. Elizabeth Acevedo is the New York Times bestselling author of The Poet X, which won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, the Michael L. Prince Award, the Carnegie Medal, and a host of other awards. She's also the author of With a Fire on High and Clap When You Land. Elizabeth holds a Bachelor of Arts in Performing Arts from the George Washington University and a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the University of Maryland. She is a National Poetry Slam champion and resides in Washington, D.C. with her love. There is so much more that we could say about Elizabeth, but we want to jump into this juicy conversation. So, Elizabeth, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Yes, thank you all so much for having me. I'm delighted. I feel like I got to get my radio voice. You oh. had it all. Your voice oh. is just so beautiful, Terry. I got to like step it up. <laughs> oh, but you're the poet. I'm trying to be like you today, okay? I'm trying to get my poetic, poetic voice going, okay? We're so excited to have you here, lady. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. I got to listen to the episode on fibroids and on midwives, and so I know y'all do some good work. So I'm super hyped to be here. Oh, well, we are just as excited to have you here with us. And so we're going to dive into our quote of the day, which will sound really familiar to you because (laughs) these are your words. Mm. (laughs) You cannot fix what was never broken. And I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back so that it hits your spirit. 
You cannot fix what was never broken. Now, Elizabeth, you're the poet. So I know when I watch some of your videos and, you know, and I've heard you say those words, how I said it, it didn't quite do it justice for her. Oh, you said it beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) You said it beautifully. I was like, oh, the church. (laughs) (laughs) But Elizabeth, when you think about all of the prolific things that you have written about and all of your experiences, This quote in particular stands out to so many and resonates with so many of us. Can you share for those who aren't familiar, although if you're not, you should be, what inspired this particular statement? So this statement, you cannot fix what was never broken, is the ending kind of stanza in my poem about hair called Inheritance. And I was having a conversation with a family member and we were talking about my partner at the time, who was my boyfriend. We were both 21. He's my husband now. He's Black American. My family is from the Dominican Republic, so a different diaspora. And this family member was concerned that because I was choosing a darker skinned partner and a Black American partner, that what would happen to my children's hair, right? And I grew up kind of listening to, you got to fix your hair on Fridays. You got to go get your hair done, right? This whole idea of lightening the race or, or attempting to move towards whiteness as a way of attaining beauty or attaining, you know, and I think this is not an unfamiliar story, right? Like I'm, I'm not unique in this experience, but I, but I think I, felt called to respond in a way of really reclaiming ancestry, really reclaiming the diaspora, and in particular, the diaspora to the Dominican Republic, which was the first place where, you know, enslaved folks were brought, and and to just kind of think through what it meant to love yourself, right? And what it meant to say, there's a reclamation to be had here. And this idea that, that I had to fix my hair right? You cannot fix something unless it is it is broken, right? There's no reason to alter it otherwise. And so it was really kind of my responding to, there's nothing to fix. And to be clear, I got no issues with people who want to straighten their hair, perm their hair, whatever you want to do, that's on you, boo. But I recognized that I believed my hair was more beautiful and I was more beautiful and more professional and more elegant and more sophisticated when my hair was quote unquote done, right? And so there was this hierarchy of well, you know, curly hair is fine for every day, but when you got to go show up, you show up with your hair straight. And, and I had internalized that belief. It wasn't just like, I want to be playful. It was no, you know, there's, there's better hair for better occasions. So powerful. And we've definitely talked about that on the podcast before, yeah. like as far as our own experiences. But I know when I heard that quote, and especially in the context of self-love, it definitely gave me goosebumps. It kind of made yeah. me teary-eyed because I was like, oh my God, thinking about just different parts of you know our individual yeah. journeys, my journey, where it's like, I wanted to fix something. And it's like, the boo wasn't even broken. And it's like, Damn, <laughs> you know, right? so it's so powerful. Your therapist would say that, like, yes, okay, <laughs> it's, it's like so simple, but like just so powerful at the same time, yeah. right? 
So Elizabeth, can you just share with us, what is your origin story? Like, what was your journey to becoming an award winning? I mean, multiple awards, okay. <laughs> award winning author and then a spoken word artist. Like what yeah. was that like for you? You know, I was just a little shorty from New York City who used to want to hang out with the rappers on the block. To be honest with you, like, you know, in 1996, I was like, Jay-Z is going to discover me. Like, I'm going to be on somebody's album, Nas. I'm here for the feature. I really wanted to be a rapper. You know, I loved Eve growing up. I loved Missy Elliott, right? I loved Lauren Hill, Nas, Tupac. And those. so to me, that felt like the literature that was speaking to my community, that was speaking to what I understood, you know? And so initially I got into writing because I wanted to write rap. And I remember going to high school and there was a poetry club at school. And I'm like, I don't know about poetry. Like, y'all don't even whine. <laughs> like I had, I was very bougie with my hierarchy of poetry. Like, no, I'm a rapper. Like, <laughs> y'all ain't on my tip, right? And thankfully I joined the poetry club and realized there are many ways to, to engage with, with writing and with text and with performance. And I was encouraged by that teacher to begin attending poetry slams and to compete. And when I first started competing, I didn't have quote unquote poems. I would go on stage and just do full songs and just pull the chorus. Right. And so that was my poem. It was just an acapella rap song. And I got introduced to so many other kinds of writing and so many other teenagers who were also artists. And so that then expanded what I thought I could do with language. And from there, it became kind of spoken word and and slam culture and performing And I went to college and knew like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to do one woman shows of my work. And I studied, I created my own major in performing arts. I studied anthropology, sociology, creative writing and theater because I wanted to make sure that I could write about my community in a way that was thoughtful, but also have the actual tools of like theatrical appearance and of of the writing tools to, to, you know, really capture what I was trying to say. And then we had a whole recession. So it was kind of hard to be a a one woman show artist. (laughs) And I went into teaching, right? Because I love literature. I love writing. And I knew that if I could instill that love in young people, that would mean a lot to me. And so I taught eighth grade English for a couple of years in Prince George's County, Maryland, a school that was 78% Latinx, 20% Black. And they had never had a Latinx teacher teaching a core subject. They had never had an Afro-Latina teacher teaching there at all. And so it was one of the first times I think these students could really connect with an educator on another level. I mean, I had people's mamas calling me like, oh, so-and-so is not going to be in school today. I'm like, you got to call the front desk. Like, I'm their English teacher. <laughs> but it was this relationship of, you know, you get us and you're warm and you're you're here, Right. And my students, you know, were struggling. They were eighth graders, but they were reading at fifth and sixth grade reading level. Some of them, right? Some of them. And I just realized there was such a gap. And so my whole life, I had kind of been thinking about my writing and my creativity and my, what I wanted to put into the world. But I think teaching really kind of reflected back, like, what can I do to give these young people something they could put in their book bag, something they could carry with them and that they can turn to time and time again. If I'm not in the room, Like, what can they hold on to? And that was where the seed was really planted to start writing young adult literature. And so it just kind of, you know, spiraled from there. I did end up going on tour. I was doing 100 performances a year, doing spoken word shows all throughout the country. Basically, like how comedians do it. Like, you just pull up, do a 45-minute set. You know, in my case, you don't want people to laugh, but sometimes it happens. (laughs) It taught me so much. And so my journey has been being very open to different pivots 
and kind of being open to where am I in this moment and how do I gravitate towards what my journey can be, leaning into my skills and my talents, but also responding to what the universe is giving me in this moment. And so I've just always kind of followed my intuition of what do I need to do, right? And that became YA, that became poetry. It was just chasing writing in whatever capacity I could. And, you know, I happened to really find a a nice nook here. So my origin story clearly has a lot of, you know, almost rivers, you know, confluence of rivers, but I think it is hip hop. It is my mom telling me fairy tales about the Dominican Republic when she was growing up. It is my students. It is just all of this kind of converging and coming together. That is oh so my amazing. God. Right? Oh, oh, this is, is so beautiful. And oh. this is going to sound cheesy, but it sounds so poetic. Now, lady, you know, this is a grown woman podcast, okay? And chances are, if you're an avid listener, you know we get a little blatchet over here. We get bougie, classy, and we get ratchet. So today's sponsor should not come as a surprise. Uber Lube is a luxurious, high grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body friendly ingredients. It's just silicone with a little bit of vitamin E. The vitamin E leaves a velvety finish that actually moisturizes the skin. Lube is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether alone or with a partner. And if you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality body safe ingredients and nothing beats Uber Lube. Y'all, I done tested this out myself and let me tell you, it's A1, okay? It's great for all kinds of play, vaginal, oral, or anal. There's no flavor or scent. It's latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. And Uber Lube even works underwater, making it great for fun in pools, hot tubs, the bathtub, all that good stuff, okay? Right now, Uber Lube is offering Cultivating Her Space listeners a special offer, 10% off and free shipping when you use our code herspace at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code herspace at u-b-e-r-l-u-b-e.com. As I'm listening to you, you know, you mentioned that you're in a space now where you allow your career and your life to go where the river flows, where the universe guides you. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we'll talk a little later about some of the pivots that you're making. But right now, what I want to ask about is, so your books are guided for young adults, Mm -hmm. but People like us that are over 25 can still read your books and thoroughly enjoy them. And so what do you think it is about your books that resonates so well with audiences over 25? Well, I appreciate that. I think that's one of my favorite compliments because so often we think like children's books are just for children, right? But I think that all literature is for everybody. I mean, you might be surprised to know, but the 45% of people who buy young adult novels are women between the ages of 34 and 45, right? So the actual demographic (laughs) illustrates that there are a lot of us who turn to teen stories in order to find whatever we're looking for. But in my particular books, I know I'm interested in intergenerational stories. You're never going to come to one of my books and they just ain't no mama. There ain't no auntie. There's no cousin, right? Like I don't understand those books. My mom is on my phone every day to this day. 
And I'm just like, where's your mom? You just went on a cross country trip and nobody's checking on you. Like this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so my stories have grandmothers, have aunties, have people involved with folks' lives, right? And I think that readers can find themselves in those figures, but they can also find themselves in the younger characters, in, in the in the child that we were, right? So many of us are working on healing our inner child, on loving our inner child. And I think that means reading to our inner child, reading the stories we wish we had had access to when we were young that affirm, oh, I wasn't wilding when I was 15 and just wanted to be you know, out here exploring my sexuality. I wasn't actually, there wasn't anything abnormal about these urges that maybe I, I don't talk about or about that one thing I did I got in trouble for that I'm still ashamed about. And I think the stories really allow us to heal right? And, and that, that seems to be what a lot of folks tell me when they respond. Like, I didn't know I needed this book, right? Or I, I wish I had had this book XYZ. And it's like, well, you probably then still need it now. Like if you needed it then, you probably need it now to some extent, because that version of you is still in us. And so I think that that's a lot of what folks are responding to. And I think when you tell a good story, you tell a good story, right? And so people still want the pitfalls. They still want the angst. They want to know what's going on. When things get you know, adapted to television and movies, you want to be ahead of the curve. So you want to be reading the book that's going to become the thing. And I think that all of that creates a joyous kinds of connection. And you know, we want stories. We all love to gossip. And that's what you know these stories are. It's an opportunity to gossip safely. Because <laughs> then you can close the book and be like, oh, that was messy. And I'm glad I could walk okay. away. <laughs> Amen to that, right? Leave yes. that mess right over there. But no, that's so mm-hmm. true. Storytelling, oh my goodness. When yeah. you think about your latest book, Inheritance, a visual poem, mm-hmm. um, you illustrate, it's like an illustrated version of your celebrated poem, mm-hmm. Hair, which we listen to and it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to stop performing hair? Yeah, you know, I think that we all know that black hair and Afro-diasporic hair is political, especially in this country, right? To the point that this year we had to pass the Crown Act because so often folks are discriminated against for wearing their natural hair or their locks or their braids or whatever in workspaces. We've seen the videos of young women in schools getting kicked out, getting expelled because their hair is unruly or whatever the, the question is. And so we have had so many iterations in the United States of trying to reclaim the beauty of black hair that we are still attempting to do, right? My particular story was one where I was responding to this family member and it was coming from a place of anger. And I'm, I'm proud of that poem. I love that poem. I think it did a lot of really good work. I know that there are so many young women who have told me that they had a different relationship with their hair and with their mother and with their children after listening to that poem. But it reached a point where I realized that I had grown, you know, apart from that, that I think the natural hair movement had grown from when I first wrote that poem and where we are now, where I didn't feel quite as necessary. And then in the last few years, I realized maybe, maybe the text can be edited to meet this moment, right? To meet where we are now, to meet where I am now, to meet where my relationship with my mother is now, where my relationship with my hair is. So that is less of this war cry against what someone told me a decade ago and is more of an invitation now. All these women who have grown with me and have listened to this poem with me, who are now having daughters and have nieces, like, I want y'all to have something you could read together. That's less about, you know, being angry at, at a parental figure and more about like, 
the next time someone says X, Y, Z to you, this is what you respond, you know? And so it's, it's felt like I had to take a pause from it and step back and just kind of see the landscape. Where are we? Does this poem still serve? Is it still something that, that stands up? And I, I think that pause was good. I think it's always good to evaluate and just be like, where am I? Is it working? And I had other things I wanted to do. Sometimes when you're only known for one thing, you know, you kind of get pigeonholed and it just became a like, do the hair poem, do the hair poem. I'm like, I'm not a jukebox. I got a lot of poems, right? And I want to write books and I want to do this and I want to do that. And so I think I also just needed to prove to myself that there was other work that I could be known for. You know, I know shade to that poem. I love that poem, right? It opened a lot of different doors, but but it was just what I needed was a pause. I love that. And I think, you know, what I'm taking away from that is that, like you said, like you are not just one thing, one piece of work, right? One body right. of work that there is so much more to you. And we're seeing that, you know, I just saw that your book, Clap When You Land, is being adapted into television, right? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And so now so cool. we can add we can add screenwriter That's to right. your list of skills, right? That's right. <laughs> and so as you have been going on this journey, right? Mm-hmm. Your the latest book, Inheritance, a visual poem, is about self-love and rejecting those colonized standards of beauty. Can you tell us, take us on your self-love journey? You know, Dr. Don, this is a good question because I feel like for so long I had thought that I loved myself and I didn't know just how empty that love actually was. I I was raised such a people pleaser and such a, you know, make yourself likable. And it got to the point, honestly, because of my career where where I couldn't sustain that. The number of yeses I had to give to make people happy, the number of bending over backwards to get from this city to that city in order to make an appearance, in order to do this while writing a book, while working on, you know, being married, a new bride, while working with my family, like it became so much. And my health really suffered. My mental health suffered. I had a fiber that had grown, you know, (laughs) way too large without my checking it, without my going to the doctor to see why I had pain, right? And by the time I went, it's like, well, there's only these many options, right? And and, it, and then that took me out, right? The surgery was really difficult. And I, I realized I can never go through this again if I can help it. Like I have to care for myself. And so I'll say that I have learned to love myself probably when the pandemic sat me down, when I had to really check in with myself. And a lot of it, has started with just doing breath work and just trying to remind my body that it's safe, right? And doing 10 minutes of breath work every day when I can get to it, going on nice long walks and just reconnecting to nature. And one of the things that I'll say is really powerful has been ancestor veneration. I created an altar accidentally in some ways. It started with a candle and a little glass of water, and then it became, you know, putting flowers out once a week. It became you know, cutting up a mandarin and eating some of it and putting some of it out, making a cup of coffee, drinking some of it, putting some of it out. But this idea of how are you tender towards your dead and how that forced me to be tender towards myself, right? And so this connection that we living have, when I sit there and I pray and I ask for blessings and I ask for change, 
And after two weeks, I'm like, I'm asking for the same thing. Like, what am I doing to create this change? Like, what? where am I checking in? Like, why am I asking for the same thing? And so this idea of intuition, of listening to myself, it, it became about me and my history and how do I show up daily for this very small practice of checking in. And so I, I just, that work of ignoring what other people wanted from me and really knowing like, no, nah, I don't feel good when I do X, Y, Z. I feel good when I'm here or when I'm doing that, but now nah, I don't like that over there. And so that checking with myself, I think has been the greatest gift of love I could give myself, acknowledging I can't be everything for everybody and that is perfectly okay, but I got to be as much as I can for myself. You know, and also shout out to therapy. My therapist is great. And I think <laughs> she has been lovely and, and taught me how to be vulnerable and in being vulnerable with my partner and realizing like he can love me in my ugliness just showed me like, oh, I, I can love me in my ugliness and I have to be able to do at least as much as he does. Wow, wow, wow. That is so beautiful. And I have to say, Elizabeth, I feel like we all need to like, wish we were closer. We all need to go out to brunch because I feel like we all have so much in common. <laughs> and just talking to you now for the short amount of time that we've been talking to you, one, you're dope as fuck. That's just like uh, a given. Appreciate you, you. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. But you also appear to be like a spiritual, intentional, intuitive, and a self-reflective person. And as you were speaking the entire time, what I noticed is like, the way that you pivot in life. Like that is so powerful, mm. especially with the pandemic. And so I kind of just wanted to ask you a random question. I want to know what's something that you do on a regular now that you didn't do before the pandemic. And I just want to share like mine would be like a baby monitor. I didn't look at this before because I didn't have a child, but now like this yeah. is glued to me and she's sleeping now. Like what is your thing? Like what is your oh. thing that you do now that you didn't do before the pandemic? Yo, I'm really cognizant of water. Ooh, what do you mean? What does that <laughs> I don't mean? know if y'all seen me like I'm over oh, here yes. like sipping my water. But this but don't I, don't, I don't. Oh, thank you. It's really cute. Well, because it fits in my cute. most purses, so I got a really flat one because that is how serious I am about my water at this it. point in time. That's like genius. I think so much of like my life, I've been just dehydrated. <laughs> yeah, I was angry. Yeah, I was this. Yeah, I was that. Like I just didn't. I wasn't. It's, it's a little thing of self care. Like, yeah. did I have enough water? Wow. Right, and not just because I went to brunch and we had bottomless mimosas, and it's the next day, and I'm like, oh, you know, like no, because I deserve this small thing. You know, I grew up with the same. My mom always say like, you don't deny anybody water. I want to say niega. Right. So if somebody asks you for water, you got to give them a glass of water at the very least. But like I'm over here denying myself water all the time. And so I think that just this idea of at all times be ready to to quench your own thirst has been my my one thing with the pandemic. I've been very much on my water and I like, oh, I need 100 ounces a day. But just like I carry it with me. And if I'm ever thirsty, I got myself. Amazing. That's beautiful. Okay. Oh, that's the time. What's yours? <laughs> So mine has been sleep. Yes. There sleep. we go. Okay. I, when I reflect back pre-pandemic about how my life was so hectic, and in a lot of ways my life still is hectic, mm -hmm. but I wasn't necessarily prioritizing sleep. I was like, yeah. I know I I know I need it, but you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Now I am adamant because I yes. see, I have seen and truly felt what it really means when I'm rested. Mm -hmm. Like when I have really gotten my seven to eight hours of sleep, mm -hmm. like how I show up is so different. 
And I want to show up that way every day. Yes. So I hear that. I love following. Yeah. Nap ministry has been one of my favorite follows on Instagram. Like get your naps, get your rest, find ease. Like it is our birthright. And I'm just like, oh shit, I could take naps. Right? (laughs) Right? Like, let's do this. Yes. 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 Elizabeth, what is one thing that you wished all black and brown women knew about themselves? Oh, my original answer was going to be like our ancestors. I wish we all knew one great grandmother's name. Right. And I've talked a lot about ancestry. Right. So I that's probably an answer most folks would expect from me. But I think it's so powerful to be able to know your lineage and um, it's been robbed from so many of us. But I guess the, the other one would be like where your power comes from, like what your center is, right? And if your center is, if it is God, if it is family, if it is your own talent, like, oh, I'm mad funny. Like nobody be laughing at my jokes, but I know I'm funny. Like I wish we all knew the core of us that is powerful, right? Is our most powerful self and unshakably so, right? Because when I think of my little self, like my little, I'm thinking under like nine, that little kid was a killer, right? Like she was out here. You couldn't tell her nothing. Like she would read anyone any day. And I lost that somewhere along the way. I think I got too used to, you know, hormones came in and, and trying to be cute came in and all this other stuff. But that little kid didn't care. That little kid knew who she was to some extent. Like, oh, I'm feisty and I'm smart and I'm a reader and, and can't nobody tell me different. And I wish we all had that, that clear sense of self. If you could list every single night, like 10 things, you're proud of that are essential to you. Not what you're going to become, not tomorrow, but today, right? 10 things that are essential because so often I think black and brown women are chasing the potential of themselves versus, you know, you are absolutely enough right now. And how do you convince yourself on a daily basis that what you are offering the world and offering yourself, right, is a worthy offering and I think that in, in reminding ourselves of that, we, we see that a real transformation, or at least personally, I've seen a real transformation. And so I wish we all had a great grandmother's name if we don't already. And I wish that we really knew the core of ourselves, like where our power is, our center, and could move from that center. I'm just going to snap for that one. <laughs> okay. So Elizabeth, can you tell us one question or topic that you wished people asked you about more often? You know, and I think that a lot of black and brown writers would probably say this, but you often get questions on the content of your work, but not as much on the craft of your work. And particularly because so many of my books are written as poems, there's so much I'm doing behind the scenes to try to create feelings in readers along the lines of the line breaks, the spacing, the, you know, particular metaphors, that the story is a big part of it. But, but I'm, I really do think of myself as an artist and as a craftsperson. Right. Like I sit here with one line for hours to make sure it's perfect. So when people, you know, I think just dismiss all of the all of that work, but yet give that same credence to white authors like, oh, but at the level of the line, they're just this generation's X, Y, Z. And you're like, you know, there's so many of us that are doing incredible craft work, but folks often don't. That's not the topic that's as interesting right now. You know, they want to talk about the hardships of diversity in publishing versus like 
Yo, I really put a bar in there. Y'all didn't even, y'all didn't even like <laughs> give me my props. Like, can we talk about just the bars? Right. So sometimes I wish that most black and brown artists just got more questions about the artistry. Because I think that, you know, there's so much innovative work happening. Well, can you tell us something about your process that we wouldn't know? Yeah, to let us know. Like, let us know behind the scenes the thing that people just don't ask about. Show us. What does it look like? Well, I'm currently working on my first adult novel, which is so fun. Ooh. I'm like, ooh, sex. I haven't read, you know, I haven't written about this. So it's very ooh. exciting. But I have never listened to music. I need silence when I write. I'm like, there's too many characters. I'm in my mm-hmm. head. But for some reason, I cannot lock in unless I listen to music. And the two folks I've been listening to, Miles Davis, Live at the Philharmonic, which is like a 58-minute album, six songs. But the fact that this man performed 10 minute songs, right? Like, and it's just wild. Like I just get lost in the music and I feel like, all right, I can't stop until, you know, Miles stops, you know, Miles going for an hour. So it's, it's a good hour of writing. And I've been listening a lot to Robert Glasper and like his music and his jazz infusion. And so it's been curious to find in these jazz performers and in these, these live performances, this kind of pocket into writing. And I don't know if that's going to happen again. I don't know if another book is going to need silence again, but the book I'm currently working on is really driven by these sounds that are are kind of just wild and free and unexpected. And and I, you know, I owe a lot to these two musicians. That is so dope. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I love that. I because <laughs> when I like when I read, mm-hmm. I don't like to listen to music. Mm-hmm. That has that has a lot of words, right? Like, yeah, right. I like I like to listen to jazz when I'm yes. reading. So yeah, that makes so much sense to me. I'm like, yeah. oh, and I can't wait to read your book when it comes out. Right, <laughs> I, I can't wait either, right? Because I'm like, I wonder what the energy is going to match. Is it going to have that frenetic energy that Miles? Is it going to have? I I can't tell as of yet, but I feel like I'm excited to talk about after the book is done and published, like what this moment and trying to just get lost in that particular music to find words has meant to me. So thank you. Well, we have one more question before we shift up the energy. So earlier you mentioned some of the things that come along with being Afro Latina, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that historically there has been like a divide between Mm -hmm particularly like Dominicans and Black Americans. Mm -hmm. And so for the listener out there who is trying to get to a space of self-love and either they are Afro-Latina or they are Black American and they're connected in some way, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them in helping them along this self-love journey? This is a great question. And I wish we had an entire podcast to dig in, right? Because I think the first thing I would say is it helps with self-love to be very clear where you are coming from in terms of your position. And so often people confuse race with nationality, with ethnicity, right? That when people say we're all black and I'm like, in this country, black very often specifies African-American, Black American, right? And so those of us who are coming from a different diaspora often don't opt into that because we think, oh, that's 
you know, it's not that I'm not Afro-descendant, it's that this belongs there. But that's a question of, are we talking about race? Where we all black? Are we talking about ethnicity? Where it is okay to say, oh yeah, culturally, the way that I understand blackness on my island is different than how we understand it in this country, right? And so I think that there's been such a large disconnect because we use a lot of words synonymously that have very different meaning. And a lot of people opt in to Black American culture and the benefits of what Black Americans have fought for in the United States, but then opt out (laughs) of the ramifications of what it can mean to be Black American in this country, right? And so I know for me, positioning myself very clearly on there has been work that was done before my people arrived here that is critical work, right, that I benefit from and that I am privileged to have access to because of the ancestors of other folks. And that does not deny that there are contributions made by Afro-Latinx and Afro-Dominicans and Dominicans in general that really help create a vibrant United States, right? Like it's it's not an and or, or, or rather it's an and, not just this or. And so one, I think that self-love can be most done when you're not resentful, when you're not trying to prove yourself, when you're not angry at someone for the fact that they may have their own feelings and their own personal beliefs of why they feel like, you know, these situations are really complicated because we're not all coming from the same knowledge base. So one, know where we are, know where you are on your journey of blackness and self-love and know that other people may be in a different place on that journey. Right. And then I really do think that it's about knowing your specific history. When I was growing up, what I understood about blackness was what I learned in school and it was black American history. So I was out here thinking that slavery in the United States was how it was everywhere. Right. And that the the civil rights movement in the United States also affected Latin America. And that's not to say that it didn't, but it is to say slavery was different in the Dominican Republic than it was in Mexico, than it was in Brazil, than it was in Argentina. And to be black in Argentina and be black in in wherever is, is a different understanding. So what was it in your country? How did your people learn blackness? What was the style? What was the hierarchies of caste? Right. You know, was it Spanish? colonized because they had a particular understanding of blackness. They had been, you know, with North Africa for hundreds of years. They had been conquered by North Africa. Their relationship to blackness is different than the French and the British relationship to blackness. And so your understanding of your particular place is going to, I don't mean to give you a history lesson, but I just think, I think that these are, these are critical things. When we try to approach it as this one blanket, it is hard to love yourself because you have no specificity to tie to And we just have to be more specific because that's how we respect each other and each other's journeys on how we all got here. So I'm not going to jump off my soapbox, but (laughs) I do think having done my own history just made me be a little bit firmer on like, nah, I know what was going on where I was coming from. And so I can respect everyone's story. Okay, so basically we're going to have a second episode and we're going to dive into this a bit deeper. That's kind of what I hear you say. I mean, you nailed that. And I'm just like, I need to get my notes out, take some notes. So Clearly, I think about fight. this a lot. Okay, so that's what we'll be email. We'll be emailing you or reaching out about part two. But at this point, Elizabeth, one, I, I want to thank you seriously for that response because I think that is so insightful. And I think that'll be a great jumping point for a future conversation, seriously. But we do want to shift up the energy. For sure. Of our conversation today. And Elizabeth, because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be bougie and yes. classy yes. and ratchet, okay? Of like course. You, okay? Like, you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music 
if you so Who choose. Who doesn't want to twerk every now and then? Come on now. Come on, twerk something. So listen, <laughs> we want to invite you to the OU Blatchet segment. So do you take okay. on the challenge? I have no idea what I'm signing up for, but I take on the challenge. <laughs> we got her, Dom. We got her. So now that you've agreed, we're going to tell you what to expect. Okay. So we are going to ask you three questions. We're going to okay. share three sentence completions. And then we have three photos pulled up of you. We've been oh, stalking Lord. You. oh, Lord. Now we're going to have you choose a number between one and three. And then once the photo is revealed, we want you to provide more context. Like tell us something that we wouldn't okay. know just by looking okay. at the photo. You ready? Okay. I think so. I feel like there was a lot of instructions, but you're going to guide me and I'm going to figure it out. We got you, girl. (laughs) So the first question is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Nikki Giovanni once told me at some point in time, all singers become insane because they're singing the same song. You got to sing a different song. And so it was about repetition and the stories we tell ourselves and you got to move forward and leave some stories behind. Wow. And it's Nikki. So, you know, I take that's (laughs) what more is there to say is Nikki. My of what you said about hair too, what you said Mm -hmm. about your poem. It's like Exactly. Yes, yes. Wow. You gotta leave something. Sometimes you gotta be like, okay, I can't keep repeating this to myself. I gotta move on. Well, Don, I'm gonna pass this one to you because this is gonna be an interesting (laughs) transition from Nikki Giovanni to this. So Elizabeth, you already answered this question, but we're going to put it out there anyway, just so that we can get the official response. (laughs) We have four words for you. Okay. Twerk or two-step. I mean, it depends on the occasion, but I think they've all got occasions. Since I'm at home most of the time, we're going to say twerk. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Okay, okay. Now, Elizabeth, what is the sexiest item you own? Oh, I'm wearing this Fenty bra right now that I love. And it's not for nobody, but just for me. But it's so comfortable, but also just makes my chitties look so cute. So yes. I'm going to go with my Fenty collection. What color yes. is it? I love Fenty. What color this is it? This one is black with a little bit of copper. Ooh, okay. I see. Okay, okay. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Riri. Yes. <laughs> All right, so now for our sentence completion. One thing I wish people knew about me is... I'm mad funny, yo. People really think I'm like super serious and she's a poet and this, that, and the third, but I'm hilarious. I make myself laugh all the time. I, I mean, you can, jokes, but you like can make us laugh. I think, right? I think you're good. Yeah. yeah I'm like, people yeah. don't know that. Come on, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people hear poet and award winning. Yeah. They just think you like, you know, up here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, nah, I just like to talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel you. I feel you, girl. Now, Elizabeth, the next question here is, what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done Well, actually, let me rephrase this because it's a sentence completion. So the most embarrassing thing I've ever done to get a crush's attention is. Oh, Lord. (laughs) That means she got a good one, y'all. No, I can't even think about it. I mean, we used to have this little square at GW and it's just like, I don't know how many times I would walk back and forth on that square just hoping to get this one guy to look at me. But like that, I mean, that's not embarrassing enough. I don't know, man. I think I, I was just, I'm from New York, so I just thought I was too cool. 
I'm not gonna do too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not gonna be right. too pressed. <laughs> so the most I'm gonna do is just walk back and forth a little bit. If you ain't checking for me, then I right, cool. Right, right. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I love that. I love that response. <laughs> you just gotta go with your geography. I'm from New York. I don't know. Yes. We don't do that. That's not how we roll. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so Elizabeth, what I love most about myself is I'm hard headed, but I'm open to growth. Mm. And so I think I've doubled down when I got to double down. But when I recognize like, oh, I could be doing X, Y, Z different or better. Like, you know, I'm, I'm always a student. Mm. I'll say that about myself. Yeah. Very powerful. All right, all right. So now, Elizabeth, we want you to choose a number between one and three. You know, I'm three in terms of my line sisters. I was the third and I was the anchor. So I'm going to go with three. Okay, cool, cool. So what we're going to do is I'm going to show you the photo. But some people are not listening or they're not watching us on Patreon. So describe the photo and then give us some context about (laughs) this photo. It's a good one. Oh, okay. So in this photo, I'm standing in front of a mic and I got my hands up. I'm wearing a black t-shirt that says, Yo amo mi cajon. So this photo is interesting because I was on Lisner stage, which is a pretty cool auditorium here in Washington, D.C., where I live. And what is important to know about this photo is that two years prior to this event, I had gone on that same stage in front of 1,400 people and completely blanked. Forgot my whole poem. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. It's also been my worst fear since I was a child to forget a poem in public. And I stopped performing for like two years. So this was one of my first performances coming back and being like, all right, I'm not, I can't be afraid. I mean, my anxiety was through the roof, but I still pulled up. And so I think to conquer the stage that had a one point rendered me speechless to some extent and be like you know we all have bad days you don't got to be perfect every event but and to capture such beautiful photos right like I look powerful and I felt powerful but I had to train myself (laughs) to get back when you look back on the moment when you forgot your words because that's happened to me before too do you remember like what caused it like were you were you going through a lot like what what caused (sighs) you to just blink at that moment you know, I'm not even sure. I don't know really? if it was that I just didn't rehearse enough. Okay. And then I'm on there and the lights were massive. The yeah. mic had a lot of reverb. So I, I kept hearing oh. myself. And at some point it's like, I, I don't know if I've already said this or if my like if I'm supposed to say this. So the mic kind of you know effed me up a little bit yeah. too. But but honestly, I just think it was just one of those brain fart moments. But it, it just happened in public and I couldn't recover. Yeah. And I've like studied how to recover like you always know you go to this line or you you just start another poem or whatever it is but for whatever reason like I just I think I was I was dumbstruck that I I had forgotten like I was kind of like no this ain't this is this ain't happening (laughs) and I just couldn't recover and it was ugly in public and you know, people start clapping like, you got this. I'm like, shut yeah, up. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Don't acknowledge that. Right. Right. <laughs> so it was just, man, listen, it, it broke my heart. I had to really <laughs> do some internal work to get back on stage because it was just yeah. my, my worst fear come to life. What a beautiful comeback, though, for the photo that you just shared with us. So, yeah, thank goodness I did. You know, I- <laughs> yeah, we're grateful that you did. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. Elizabeth, we we just want to thank you. Oh, for sure. For joining us today and 
providing us with such insight and such so many powerful words. And I know that as our listeners are taking this episode in, they're going to be writing down all these gems that you drop. Oh. <laughs> and so for those that have, that haven't gotten your book yet and they don't follow you on social media, tell them where they need to get it to, how they need to get it together oh. and find you and get your books. Well, first of all, Terry, Dr. Dom, thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned, your podcast is so dope and I'm only doing a select amount of interviews, but when I like heard y'all knew I had to come on here. So I appreciate the invitation. You can find me everywhere on Acevedo Writes. I only social media wise use Instagram. I kind of have petered off of everything else because it's just too much and I'm not mm-hmm. going to give everybody access to everything. But I'm on Instagram, Acevedo Writes, and my website, A-C-E-V-E-D-O-W-R-I-T-E-S, has all the information about my books, my events, how to contact me, XYZ. And so those are probably the two places to find me and at a bookstore near you. You know, my books are everywhere. So if you want to come just to the words and just see what I'm working on, wherever you buy books, you can find me. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We will make sure to add those links in the show notes. And lady, you already know what to do. Go click on those links, support Elizabeth, tap in, wait for the adult novel and the show and all that good stuff (laughs) is coming soon. Okay. Elizabeth, you are the best. We appreciate you. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for having me. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at cultivatingherspace.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. What's meant for me will never miss me. I don't have to chase.